Dad Bod, Rap Pod, the original kings of commentary, are back doing what guys our age do, podcasting. <laughs> Live. We're back in the kitchen. We're back in Nate's kitchen we for this We are back week. in the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, Palms itching. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bonus points if you get the SIBO reference. Uh, my name is Damone Carter, a.k.a. Dim One. I am joined here by Nate LeBlanc. Welcome back to my kitchen. I know. It's uh we had the the ill setup at the record store. The timing yeah. didn't work out today, so we're we're back at home and in a way it's much easier for me. Is it? Not going to lie. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's just like before you guys came over, I was cooking, I was listening to music that had nothing to do with the show. I'm like right. in my zone. That's okay. amazing. Yeah. Okay. I see some chard on the counter. <laughs> it's, some it's going the, down. Got the Oh, I'm trying to do a tech on the dresser thing, and it's just not there. <laughs> got the chart on the counter. <laughs> it's kind of, it's like a vegan Nas. I'm also joined. Speaking of vegan Nas, I'm joined here by Mr. David Ma. How's it going, man? Going well, man. Good to be here. Uh, good to be back at the kitchen, though. I, I like looking out the window, especially on a sort of a gray day like a little this. Gloomy, yeah, little gloomy yeah, outside. yeah. Little, little gloomy, little cold, but a little uh, head weather. I'm alright. We with it. we totally. we keeps it hot here on the Dad Bod Rap Pod. This is twenty. Fucking 2020. Lord of mercy. Jeez. How many times have you fucked up trying to write that? Uh, weirdly, this year, I think because everyone made such a big Same. deal out of it, I, it hasn't been that hard. But it's always it's hard, hard to turn one year. into a two. Yes. That's what I'm just like, oh, totally. God damn add, it. add the little hook at the top and the line yeah. at the bottom, uh, and everyone knows what you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's even, it's even hard to kind of conceptualize, right? Because now you realize things that happened in the 90s. We're like damn near thirty years ago. Well, my thing is, yeah. it's it's as far from the nineties now as the sixties were from the eighties. <sighs> right, right. So That's like, just crazy. from a Beatles to a Tribe Called Quest, oh, which is always how I measure same, my life. Is right, now, right. you know what I mean? Oh, it's it's like nuts. MF Doom to slightly older, more grizzled MF Doom. Totally. <laughs> People could be sampling shit from like the late nineties. Yeah, that yeah, were, totally. You know, the same time away, the same time removed, like from oh, what we were listening to. Got That's these candy nuts. rain beats. Totally. <laughs> Somebody's flipped Candy Rain. It's huh? all the same. Uh, you know what I heard, which was hilarious, was, um, oh my, I'm going to butcher this because I'm old. Uh, TJ, T, there's some, the youngest rapper, TJ something. Uh, TJ X6? Six? Six. I think it's, I don't think you say the X. I think it's just TJ6. Is T that who you're talking about? Yes. The, like scam yes. rapper? Yes. Remember when I told you guys all about that before and now I thought you were just kind scamming of a big us. deal? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now I have your PIN number. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Guap Nate. Um, so, so he's got a, he's got a joint out where he raps over, um, where he raps over Troy. Um, but uh, it's it's influenced by and Andrew Barber on Twitter put this out. He, he ha who has this theory that kids who reference that only reference it because it was a song in, in the NBA Street basketball game, right? Mm. Um, and so he's like rapping over in in this kind of in that new kind of like let's see how offbeat we can be style. Um, and it's just it's kind of funny. It's like oh my god, it's it, these are artifacts from our generation. Totally. Is he talking about like scamming grandparents? <laughs> <laughs> I could barely catch it. I go, you know what? Somebody better make a statue of Little B. That's what I thought when I heard it. I'm like, this this kind of outrageous, um, you know, uh, I don't even know what to call it. I guess scam rap. A lot of things are just really influenced by Little B. Is what I. What I think I he opened with. a lane for it. Certainly, right. yeah. it's like if this yeah. if this is considered like a serious 
song if this is a real song then, yeah then anything can be a song kind of yeah it's so like what, the what, punkification or whatever what opened my eyes to this was i had a, a friend who i was just like dude this is like maybe oh eight oh nine where i'm like dude i don't understand like help me and so he played me little b's song caillou in which um he samples the the children's show caillou which is one of the most annoying shows of all time and um i think i always thought it was like kalaloo or something is kalaloo that what, is that yeah we were talking about i, I will refer that, to yeah. your your no, french no, canadian I'm, roots on this <laughs> because i believe caillou no, no in the no, song he no goes idea. i'm caillou it's horrible so right, so right. little b samples every it. single one of his songs is either great or horrible though depending on where you stand on him you know it, what i mean it, but it, it it opened my eyes to like oh you can just be this fucking ridiculous and i'll never forget because the song opens up where little b goes I got five different colors on, nigga. I'm Caillou, and that was, whole, <laughs> and that was the whole song. Like, then he parked his car. Then he yeah. fucked your bitch. Yeah, like, what? what? Concise. Yeah, and so so I think definitely somewhere, uh, sometime these kids need to get a GoFundMe and, and get a little B statue going. Little B is gonna be on uh, Thundercat's new record, which oh. I'm I'm very oh, interested dope. to hear. Dope. I thought you were gonna say he was gonna like do a voice on the Thundercat's cartoon, and that would also have made it, sense. It, it, it's all it's all. In play like, he's it's, gonna be on thundercats he's the new lion like, i would watch that it, it, totally. it's all in play in 2020 um right. anything and everything is possible including our podcast we are going into um our second hundreds uh That's hundreds right. of episodes right. so we're just That's 10 decades God <laughs> we span over well, I guess we are a multi-decade podcast. We started in 2018. So now in our second decade. Going strong in our second decade. Of, of podcasting. Storied. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're just steaming along here. We've got a dope guest coming up. We have become kind of a hub for a lot of uh, dope writers um, of late. So Love talking to writers. Yeah. Probably more so than talking to artists of any ilk because they answer questions better. Well, they answer questions. That's yeah. their that's their whole they answer questions. Period. Yeah, they that's you their get whole a thoughtful bit. response to whatever you throw at them. Yeah, some rappers just talk. That's weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true though. Producers Ask are a really producer good. a question. He just sends back bleeps and bloops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're really good listeners. These yeah. producers. <laughs> yeah. So we're we're excited to have uh, Adam Monsbach on today's uh, on today's episode, who I only understood uh, to be the author of the adult children's book go the fuck to sleep uh which i thought was was a brilliant Did thing people like give you that at like a baby shower or something um was that, that like the that, time for you i'm a little bit I, I my kids were a little bit older when that came out but okay. i i relate to the sentiment oh for I, sure i've said that shit i do to too and i don't have kids yeah i just think everyone should always go the fuck to sleep <laughs> that's, that's more of a personal mantra for you you know what i will tell you in 2020 i have discovered actually if you take your ass to bed you won't be as tired it's it's weird. It's taken That's me forty crazy. plus years. Wow, man. Yeah. No, it it sounds simple. You gotta get a self help book going. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you just take your ass to bed at a re, at a reasonable hour and then you fucking wake up and it's like oh shit I'm not tired and I don't hate people. Yeah. Um. I still hate people. I'm just not tired. But um. I think the thing is I you realize I realize now I won't put this on anyone else. I'm very very lucky that sleeping is not an issue for me. Yeah. I I'm around people for whom it is hard to sleep and oh, it's totally. like. I think it's like anxiety related and 100%. just like they 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 can't turn their brain off and whatever you want to call that kind of I, I, I that's just never been an issue for me. Yeah, that's the ultimate torture not being able to sleep. Totally, you know what I mean? yeah, it really fucks people up. 
Well, I mean, it makes you kind of a kind of a shitty person, right? But I, I've I've realized that part of our thing with sleep is that we freebase caffeine and stare at illuminated screens all day. Yep. And so yeah. when when I stop doing that, I'm like, okay, I'm going to bed at fucking ten thirty, yeah. but I'm waking up not as angry at the world, and no, then and then I get mad caffeinated and look at Twitter. Right. So uh, yeah, it's been a good twenty twenty. Cycle begins again. It does. It does. <laughs> uh, Are you an afternoon coffee guy? I had to stop. I had you, to. You used to come over for the evening podcast mm-hmm. with like mm-hmm. a, one of the bigger mm-hme. coffees, and I was like, Absolutely. What are, what are you doing, this guy dude? With like his big gulp. Coffee <laughs> at like five thirty. <laughs> Sixty-four ounces of caffeine, baby. Do you guys know who Jerry Saltz is? He's the mm-hmm. uh, art critic for the New York Times. Huh. I had to unfollow him from Instagram, even though he posts a lot of really interesting, like gallery level New York artist work, which I find fascinating and want to know about. But him and his wife double cup big gulps. I think the super big gulp. Holy shit. And then make these crazy concoctions of basically like iced coffee out of the hot coffee at 7-Eleven. Okay. So they like they have 64 ounce basically like crazy creamy sugary iced coffees just mm. to start their day Jesus. it is insane i had to unfollow it <laughs> was because you were getting diabetes it was making me uncomfortable <laughs> that's wow so so wow. I, and then it'll do like 20 posts right <laughs> and it's like of course yeah <laughs> like uh no there's a guy there's a guy who works at the barbershop that i go to who uh shout out to kev who is notorious? It's not even a sixty-four ounce. I think it's like eighty-four Jeez. ounces, and he drinks exclusively like, Mountain Dew. It's like a Seven oh Eleven handle. Yeah, and I'm like, bro, I'm like, where do you That's even? Like he's a barber, not a dentist. Oh, it's yeah, no, it's crazy. <laughs> it's it's absolutely crazy. But you know, I I definitely can sympathize because I'm like, you know, there was a time like three weeks ago, uh, <laughs> back wh- in the last decade. <laughs> yeah, back in the last decade. <laughs> When I yeah no I was I was double cup dude in wow. in the evening and like yeah like all right I'm up till one if I get five hours of sleep six hours right but I'll be fine yeah everyone will love me still I'm so charming oh fuck dude <laughs> and then going like ninety minutes the next day going I hate existence right. like totally. why totally. why do I hate everyone and everything so it's What's a lighter coffee routine Dave I am trying not to drink coffee but I'll drink coffee on um on my way to work. Okay. Yeah, make, that's make, it. One make cup. Make it at home. Uh, put in a cup and I smoke and drink while I'm driving to work. Okay. That's, okay. That's my routine. Okay. Thanks, Lenny Bruce. We appreciate <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> but I'm trying to back. Ba- I'm trying to back it off. Uh, yeah. Back off that. I am trying to back it off as well. I have not been successful yet. I've quit a lot of things and I'm like taking a lot of things out. And coffee is the one that has been like Dude. there for me. Yes. Yeah. And like yeah. I, I still yeah. feel like I need it. And yeah. I don't want to feel like I need anything. I want to be like a legit person that like can function no matter what is yeah. thrown at him. Like, say you don't have access to caffeine right at 9 a.m. or whatever. And so Ram- far, rampage. so bad. Yeah, Dude, you want to know how bad it is? You want to know how bad it is? And since we're doing ca- Caffeine Addicts Anonymous, um, I, when I've gotten like a stomach flu or something where I can't drink it, drink it. Now your day's even worse because you have a flu and you have a fucking headache in like uh, 3 but o'clock. But if you take Excedrin, Excedrin oh, has a cup yeah. of coffee's worth of caffeine in it, uh, and it doesn't hit your stomach in the same way. And I go, I'm a fucking addict. That's like, crazy. Like, I'm a base head I, for I caffeine. Can't have my <laughs> caffeine. I'm going to take my pill. I'm going to take a pill. Like, yeah. Sometimes I'm like, okay, this is a, a bit of a problem. So I am on. I am on one one cup in the morning. If I get another cup before one p.m., You're I good. can be a functional person. Yeah. Wow. After one p.m., I have to drink some bunk ass darjeeling tea yeah and just i'm the same way if i have an afternoon coffee meeting i'll either get nothing or if no one like you know you need to buy something so yeah to be there yeah yeah i'll 
sometimes do tea, but then sometimes I'll just be like, fuck it, today's an afternoon coffee day, and like, yeah. I'll just be up Ride late the dragon. And, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to quit, though. I just really need to not do that. But then I, I don't know what to do in the morning. Like, you just, look, you just be? Look. Like, you just are? Like, <laughs> there's, no, there's no, like, in-between look, thing. Since the fucking Industrial Revolution, this is how people have gotten down. I'm sorry. This is modern life. It, it just moves right, at this speed. Right, right. Um, I, I try not to beat myself up about it, but... You know, we are a self-help podcast, apparently, and so we are advocating that uh, everyone let's drink uh, let's drink under twenty-four ounces of coffee. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> let's resolve, uh, and also let's stop drinking shit coffee. Why are you drinking coffee from Seven Eleven? Like, how is that? You know what? Those I get people, it. Yeah, I, totally. I, it's convenience. I've done it. I'm not above it. Yeah, I'm not above it either. But Seven um, Eleven and coffee? I actually don't like. Yeah, no McDonald's I, coffee. When I worked at the McDonald's record store coffee. for many years. Um, McDonald's coffee is better than Seven Eleven coffee. I would say I was just on a road trip and Definitely. I drank my fair share of McDonald's coffee, and I was like, "This isn't terrible." Right. Really? I, I'm no sugar, no cream, no nothing. Like drinking coffee really? is drinking coffee, so I really know what the coffee tastes like. And right. Seven Eleven coffee fucking sucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then there's what I call like donut shop coffee, which, which is I that, love. like extremely thin, like just right, right. just like watery like there's no like essence there's no like when you look at a good cup of coffee you can see the oil from the beans like floating on the mm. top like now we're now we're mm. getting somewhere you know what i mean mm -hmm. with, with like a folgers or like a donut shop coffee you're so Crystals. far away from that you're not <laughs> even close, close. Uh, right. i have to say and I, we are really going down this road right now there's kind of a wave amongst um really good coffee places like our local place is chromatic mm -hmm. they've done freeze-dried versions of their oh beans. really it's fucking good. Is it? Freeze drying is not what makes bad freeze dried coffee bad. They start with bad coffee. And then they if freeze dry. If you start it. with good coffee. And then freeze dry. You can have excellent freeze dried coffee. Interesting. We, we were at a wedding in um, the middle of Texas where there was, I knew there wasn't going to be a third wave coffee shop. Like <laughs> basically, once we left Austin, there was nowhere to get coffee that I would like. So right. we brought these little vials of freeze dried coffee. And then anywhere you can heat up water. Yeah, you would have like really, really, truly interesting excellent coffee. Yeah, okay. so that's a thing. It's kind okay. of expensive. You have to like travel with the vials, and that's a little okay. weird. But it's a whole thing. It's now. like dabbing, in a way. <laughs> Flamethrower. He said he's got his blowtorch in the back. Like let's <laughs> let's set this shit off. It's eight a.m. Oh, I was gonna man. say before we moved on, like uh, on a day off, like today is a Monday where we're not at work. Like my probably my perfect thing would be like three quarters of a cup of coffee then take like one hit from the vape pen yeah and like then finish the coffee and then go into the day like that would be right. my preferable way to that's the grown the man world. eight ball right that's there great. <laughs> little that's very little genteel just, uh... <laughs> totally then like uh, maybe before dinner another two puffs and nice. then that would be like my best chemical yeah. balance thing okay okay, yeah. okay. Uh, you're getting fine you're getting uh, a lot of information here from the dad bod, that pod <laughs> on healthy living because that's that's part of of, of why we're here you guys want to hear let's go further that's my, not my new thing <laughs> go ahead lucia introduced this concept to me vb6 okay. vb6 vegetarian before six. Oh, ah. interesting so i tried not eating meat during the week okay just like breakfast lunch dinner i don't really eat breakfast so just lunch and dinner okay that was good but kind of limited my options and i felt like i was running out of ideas of what to cook so now i'm going just vegetarian lunch okay no breakfast eat eat like a balanced dinner but eat meat Okay. okay. Trying okay. that. I think okay. That's sensible. Yeah, I'm gonna that's do the, these two weeks of January okay. with that and see how that goes. Okay. VB6. That VB6. is my new rap name it's, uh, <laughs> coming into 2020. You could do a track with TJ6. <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> Over Troy uh, with trap drums. Yes. Uh, 
<laughs> so we're, we're, we're in 2020. We're trying to live our healthier, best lives. We're still mad caffeinated, which means we like to listen to short songs because in a highly caffeinated stream world, uh, who has time for a fucking six-minute song? My, my son has recently got into um, uh, my beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy uh, um, as a record. And he's like, why is the second song six minutes? <laughs> like we, we seriously had like a heart to heart father son. That song deserves to be six minutes though. Right. There, it's very. I'll have Ellis call you does. and and give you his a his lot very goes detailed. on in that song. Uh, it's actually it also has no kind of like defined drum pattern either. It's interesting. It's no, it's totally. just a sample. And I never thought of it, which means it probably carried the six minutes. But it's hard for me to imagine in this current climate who could really pull that off. Uh, because rap has definitely gone in the opposite direction. Uh, I feel like, and I, I think it's not just a feeling, I feel like songs are getting shorter and shorter. Earl, uh, Earl Sweatshirt, right. uh, in a, famously in an interview, talked about the death of the third verse. And while I hadn't really thought about it that way until I was like, yeah. like, uh, How often do you really need the third verse? Right, that's been going on for a minute, too. I mean, people have been cutting out the third for a while. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like, uh, and I, I went to Twitter with that, and people there were folks who felt felt away, and I go, who? What's a really memorable third? If it's not, and people and with people well, well, ideas. Wu, well, Wu Tang, and I'm just like, that doesn't count. That's no, different. With them, you have to be like, what about the, the eighth verse? verse? Yeah, right, exactly. Right. Well, there's exactly. certainly good third verses. I mean, I don't think that's the issue. I think it's just more like you know, I, no one's dying to hear um, a longer brand Nubian song. You know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah, that type of yeah. I think that they're challenging the hegemony of the three minutes or the three minutes 30 seconds yeah like there's nothing yeah. there's nothing per se that makes that the perfect length of song everyone right. just kind of decided it was probably based on the um width of a 45 if i'm oh, guessing totally. now totally. It's like, so it started okay. out like album sides right. were 20 minutes and songs okay. were like right. you know three ish because right. that's what fit on the grooves right that's now dope. that we're just filling up Amazon Web Services doesn't matter. Clouds, yeah. um, it doesn't matter. So I think there's you can say a lot in a couple of minutes, and there's nothing special about three minutes per se. That's but dope. make the song you want to make. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. There's exactly. room for long songs and unlong songs, and we were listening to this Parquet Court song yesterday when we were driving back, and um, it was five fifty, mm-hmm. I think, and it like I was like I'm with this as long as yeah. you keep it interesting. It was so this like Bob Dylan esque like kind of a rambling poetic thing with like structure, and then the last minute or so was this like crazy guitar solo and this like aggressive yelling, and I was like and skip. <laughs> <laughs> so while I think the length was fine, I didn't actually get there. But but it's interesting how that varies by genre, right? Because to you know I was listening to a 22 minute version of Thelonious Monk's Round Mid night which right. is not it's just a different like experience around right? midnight then back around and <laughs> then came back around again a couple times but sometimes i'm like or or some of Philip cootie's great work say, right um where you're just like a uh, beast of no nation is 28 minutes long right and i'm i always marvel at like well I, but i'm never like super bored of that but bored it I, is not the issue but right. it, you might be like okay <laughs> yeah totally if, well if it but they i switch I, it up though i i I feel like a rap song because of its of there's something about the structure construction and how a rap song hits right. that uh, to sustain over that period of time. And as somebody who has written rap songs, the fucking third verse sucks. It's totally just kind of like, dude, what we haven't we said what we could say here? Like what what new is there to add in this particular musical idea? And uh, I guess my thing is and why I'm such a fan of this new short attention span shit is like rap is about the good part. 
rap took right, right. took other music that was took long and expansive parts. and drilled down and freeze dried it uh <laughs> and and just gave you gave you the best part and what i love about what's going on right now is i do feel like folks are going this is the hottest part of the loop let's not fuck that up let's ride this shit for even uh, a minute 30, even uh, I think one of my favorite shorties, let's call it, uh, was Gunlib, which I listened to a billion times, and it's a minute 46. Hey, yo, streets, we be singing out the cornices. Walked on water way before Jesus. Cooked the brick for no stove, pushed the gold demon. Before I tell Kim twice, nigga, know the reasons. Right. And right. and it shouldn't be more than a minute, a, minute right. Right. Yeah, right. a minute 46. Yeah, it's a hot minute 46. Madlib has many, many short songs. Totally. It's like he just does the idea. He does not repeat the idea very often. Which can be which can be maddening at times. I know we've and talked about libening. this on <laughs> <laughs> Own the libs. Uh, yeah. um, there's in the opposite direction. Uh, I'm obsessed with this record, but called Miles Garvey by this guy called Skip. Coon. Oh my god! Oh, yeah. Skip Coon. Did you listen to it yet? That. I've been so, like wanting to so talk to you I, specifically yes, about this. Yes, yes, and I, I'm, thanks for bringing this up on yep. the pod because we're mining our lives for content. So um, I listened to this the the Skip Coon record um, the day after I did this show in Berkeley where we were doing reinterpretations of beat poet stuff, uh, mm. which was dope. The Berkeley Museum. Oh, uh, you did your Howl thing, right? I did. How'd it I, go? It uh, it was cool. It okay. was cool. It's a very boomer audience. Okay. Like mm. Berkeley, uh, now you, I know right. you might imagine it to be to something. A right thing, and they're like, eh. yeah, yeah. Okay. So it was definitely. I would say the median age was about forty nine. Okay. Often that's peace, but it went okay. The first poet who went though, who got people visibly disturbed, was this dude, uh, uh, Tongo Eisen Martin who is on the Skip Coon record. He is what? a poet. What? He is a poet on the first Whoa. track. What? Yes. What? Yes. Blew my mind. Yes. So I was like, wow. Whoa. A dude is like maybe 6'4". Um, definitely, you know, you, he stood out in the place, and he was just doing this, much like he did on the Skip Coon record, very insightful, in-your-face race analysis, definitely um, within the tradition of The Last Poets. Wow. Where I was like, Oh my God! How well, cool. I, I saw him first and then listened to Skip Coon, so I was just like, "Wow!" That's why you should always listen to everything I send right when I send it, and that's all I'm going to say. Anyway, um, <laughs> my my whole thing about that is they have a 13 minute song. That that's yeah. that yeah. that album is yeah. closed with like a 13 minute like yeah. sweet or I don't know what you yeah. want to call it. Yeah. It's just like so good, so beautiful, so incisive. Like yeah. I'm not sick of it because it keeps changing. Right, and so right. like it's a song because in the CD or the record that's that's where the band is and that's what yeah, they, yeah, they've yeah. called the song but isn't that just them doing the record yeah you know yeah I mean? it's like a, a, these Abbey Road type of like right. mashups of, of song pieces but that the, can go that together that changes way more that has like such distinct uh, stops and starts and stops and starts yeah, and I mean, melodies and tempos and movements so yeah. we're talking about different movements that's a you know I think a different conversation than just being like here's a third verse and fifth and sixth and seventh <sighs> right, verse. right. Yeah. yeah here's yeah. another 16 yeah. oh man no it's 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 very interesting to see Isn't it go that 16 way. like 30 seconds 32 seconds depending on how fast the beat goes yeah because you're between, I remember you're between, like when when people right. were 
getting big for features. I remember it was like Little Wayne makes a hundred thousand for a thirty mm -hmm. second verse. A, a sixteen like... can be thirty seconds if you're in the upper nineties. Okay. You know, for for something slower, it's it's more like forty five seconds. Okay. But it's that's it's, still a short amount of time. It's a short amount of time, but in rap time it actually is a long amount of right, time you know what i mean it's all about how it hits it's it's all about how it hits we've Can't... all suffered through some bad ones <laughs> <laughs> haven't we but then you have some of the masters like uh jay-z on some of um some of his earlier work would give you a 48 you know what i mean uh and, you know eminem back in his day day was doing 64 bar verses my and, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll take... experience of that or like where i first started thinking about the length of verses is the first organized confusion record mm, and they're mm. like on record as saying like we had no idea how to how count to, how to structure a <laughs> yeah, song yeah, so like yeah. we just rapped until we were done rapping <laughs> and i'm like i'm i'm fucking about it I'm okay i don't, I don't need yeah. i don't need anything but that if you have brilliant right. lyrics just raining down on me in a torrent i'm like super into I'm that. sure of that too yeah i that's what um andre 3000 said that yeah. like when they first started rapping, he had no idea what a hook was. They were just rapping their asses off. And I'm like, yeah. that's the tape I want to hear. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. And then he learned what a hook was and wrote amazing ones. I know, totally. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, but he's, you know, a day in the life of Andre Benjamin, if we're talking about long. Um, I If I, hip hop by the numbers, help us out. How many bars is that? <laughs> like he raps for four minutes straight without right, without right, any right, pause. Right, right. I and how I, many bars? What percentage of words? <laughs> how many breaths did he take? <laughs> the number, yeah. the uh, number there, of there dudes. was somebody on Twitter the other day who was like, "Can any rappers do circular breathing?" I don't. Uh, know. the Rasan Roland Kirk technique, right? Of, yeah, of you can keep to play playing, a note forever. Yeah, while you're yeah. while you're still. That's so funny. I, I've had this live. conversation before. I was like, Aesop Rock. Mm. I don't know. I have no because idea. because you would have to sustain a weird tone or breath. I think part of the the punchiness of rap comes from you taking a breath, right? Right. right so course. if you there were if you pauses, yeah, right. if you were going to do a circular breathing technique, it would have to be something mad nasal. So I think Aesop Rock is. What a about great, uh, got Micah it. Nine? Got it. Yeah, yeah. Because that singing song. I mean, so does it come down to like? Quickness, like can tw can Twista do that? Then right, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I I feel like Twista makes a show of his breaths to show you how hard that's he's working. Yeah, you right. almost get the inhale. oh no no yeah totally, you know totally. yeah yeah, yeah so, that's a great so one though. At, at, you know of his caliber totally. I don't know. Yeah, it, how do you even breathe while you're doing that? I think <laughs> that's the point we're making. <laughs> <laughs> totally. it, no, it's it's actually pretty amazing. Um, and I guess maybe if we're if we're talking about you like, have a breath going up like three steps, <laughs> <laughs> not even talking. Don't <laughs> yeah, I, I think the fast rap, you know, even though we, we have a disdain for kind of his output, um, the fast rap kind of uh, that Eminem pioneered is uh, is some type of breathing technique because you kind of can't uh, you kind of have to figure out a new way to breathe just to be kind of doing all that. But to what end is what I would say. I, I didn't bring this up when uh we were doing the eminem thing on the last show so i'll bring it up now have you guys heard of that show the witcher it's on netflix and it has I superman with a like gray wig and it's like a fantasy show it takes place in this uh mythic realm called blaviken and every time anyone says what? it all i can hear <laughs> is chris D'Elia doing his eminem bit basically you're panicking yeah exactly <laughs> Panicking while I'm, while I'm need to open the can again. That was one of the dopest I'm, verses of that year. I'm just like oh. sitting there, and it's a serious show. People are getting like oh, swords through the face, and right, it's just like right. a, you know fighting giant spiders and stuff. Oh. And every time anyone's like, "Oh, thank you for saving Blaviken," I'm just like <laughs> cracking up. Dude. 
<laughs> we had to stop mannequin. watching it. That's hilarious. Oh, They're man. back to life like mannequin. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one day we're going to do a, a Goofy Rhyme Schemes uh, oh, podcast. Um, yeah, so so I guess maybe the maybe the 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 answer here is that if it's short, if it's long, just don't be fucking boring. Like I think that's that's all there don't is to it. Don't be boring. Yeah, yeah, just if anything. you have a part you think doesn't fit, cut it. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Yeah. And and nobody's nobody's crying about Make uh, a really something. good one verse song. Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think we we have so many great examples of that now. It's totally. Like, it's totally. awesome that totally. like people are doing that. I have no problem with a short song. Yeah, yeah which, what's your favorite shorty? What's your favorite shorty uh, sorty? Lately, I'm still obsessed with Tree th- Tree's three records mm. from uh, last year, and I've been paying attention to the links because they f- they feel complete, but the, you can tell they're not long songs. Mm-hmm. So the one that right. I am kind of focusing on is this called The Meek from We Grown Now. They take your kindness for your weakness. I couldn't have been more meek. They tried to fuck me, told them keep it, couldn't fuck me. I ain't need that shit, neither. Shit, neither. Got them back. Fuck their baby mama, skeezer, drinking bumpy face. Reefer on the fifth floor. Run away from home, I can flip more. Okay. He gets so much so accomplished. Good. There's <laughs> yeah. so much music. So, there's so yeah. much story. There's just right. so much yeah. cool so shit much that happens in like 216 yeah. or something. Perfect. Yeah. 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 Perfect. How about one? you, Dave? I, I was going to say this is an easy one, but the Mavi record and oh, the yeah. whole sort of just school of Earl anyways, that whole ilk. But the Mavi record, especially that track Sense that just came out, that's uh, produced by Earl. I'm clutch. 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 <sighs> Out of love for respiration. My dog a jewel drop an excavator. I'm dodging school, I'll just stress it later. Mama saw him full throttle, press it, patience. E break, I'll grow my knee aches. Falco, hobble, steep gate. I'll go Halloween face. Round up, how was she saying? A lot of folks on our uh, freaking Twitter feed had a had a bunch of, of joints. Redman is uh, mentioned quite a bit in terms of what's where i don't think of him as a short song guy am me i neither. tripping me neither yeah but if you think about his his that kind of skit heavy of, right skit right, heavy right. stuff he would have these little that's like true, two minute and true. then skit and then something else but, but those, those seemed more like long interludes than short songs if Ooh. That makes sense. you know what i'm saying sammy semantics here's a hair and just split <laughs> right down the middle uh you're you're awakening sammy semantics here um so there's there's a bunch. I mean, uh, Rock Marciano is mentioned. Um, a bunch of folks are mentioned. So definitely stick around after our interview with uh, Adam Monsbach right here on the Dad Rabbit Rabbit. All right, Dead Bod Rap Pod. We are back on with another dope interview. We have really become sort of the hip hop writers' room. Um, had some really uh, dope authors on today. Is no different. We have author, scholar Adam Mansbeck. How's it going? Good. How you guys doing? Real good. Um, Dave is not here. He has to work today because he is a chump. But um, he connected <laughs> us, and Dave Dave uh, books all of our guests and. 
Um, when he shared with me that you wanted to come on the show, we were really excited because we've been following your career. But um, he told us that you wanted to talk about phase two, which uh, is just very exciting for us. Um, I understand that you had a personal relationship with him. Can you kind of talk us through um, what what that's all about? Yeah, yeah. Um, I met phase in, I would say, nineteen early 1995 through my man, Ket, Alan Ket who at the time was just launching Stress Magazine. Um, I had met Ket. I promise this isn't going to be one of those stories that only goes backward, but <laughs> <laughs> I had met Ket uh, in Trisha Rose's hip-hop class at NYU, which oh, she wow. was taking as an undergrad. I was at, at Columbia. I was a sophomore at Columbia, but Trisha was my girl, so I was auditing her class. Oh, that's and cool. me and Ket I, were like, yeah. When she taught at UC Santa Cruz, I took several classes with her as well. Um, that was a big part of my college life, actually. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Trisha's incredible. Trisha, yes. to me, is one of the smartest people who has ever, uh, you know, applied this academic lens to hip-hop. And just one of the smartest people I know in general. Totally. Completely um, agree. Yeah, I was captured yeah, by yeah, her yeah. when I was in college. Yeah, no, Trisha is, uh, she's she's one of the best. Um, I know Trisha because her husband, Andre Willis, I've known since I was 14. But that's oh, wow. as far back as I'm taking this story. <laughs> okay. that's, that's my man. In any case, um, Ket was doing stress. Ket and I began to collaborate on a hip-hop journal called Elementary mm -hmm. that he and I co-published and I was the editor of. And at that time, FaZe was writing for stress. But... Mm -hmm. Phase being phase, he was difficult to corral editorially. Sure. And a bunch of the heads over there had sort of stopped being able to make headway with him. So somehow I'm in the mix and Ket introduces me to Phase. And I somehow end up kind of editing some of Phase's pieces mm. for stress. Can you give consisted... an idea of like what he was writing about and what the kind of structure would be? Like, was it about graffiti per se or was it about music? Faze, I think at that time and at most every time in his long and you know prolific career as a writer and as a writer, mm -hmm. um, was always pretty much about policing the borders of the culture, okay. defending, you know, clarifying points of history because he was there for all of it, right. uh, deriding anything or anybody that he felt was fake or bullshitting or pretending to be somewhere they hadn't been okay. or disrespecting or diminishing uh the culture in any way i mean this guy you know phase personally stopped thousands of active participants from using the word graffiti you know mm. what i mean like mm. mostly because that was his personal preference and of course he had his reasons but i say that just to say his sway and his influence is so enormous that yeah. just by sheer force of will phase could be like yo fuck the g word right. and get <laughs> widespread buy-in for some shit like that and you know Two, you know, they, they say two Jews in a room, three opinions. Um, graffiti writers are the same way. You know what I mean? So it's like that. That's the kind of respect FaZe had. So FaZe was writing stuff that, um, you know, was about setting records straight. Okay. In, I mean, also imagine, remember, this is 95. So you think right. about what, what's happening in the music at that time and what's oh, happening yeah. in New York at that time. Right. You know, there's a lot of shiny shoot suit shit that phase sure. was not feeling I imagine that would be deeply upsetting to a pioneer like him yeah and there's a lot of people popping up in back then it was like graffiti chat rooms to like Ooh. claim they did some shit they didn't do or were <laughs> someplace they weren't so phase was like calling all them out and my main job was to be like look phase what you're saying is incredibly powerful 
so much so that it doesn't need to be in all capital letters. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yep. If it was like true, true, true. And I was like, okay, cool. And like, that was further than anybody else at stress, I think had gotten with him. So they're like, you got the job or you nice. go work with phase. Mm, yeah. Um, so phase and I became quite close. I mean, we spoke a lot over the phone. Um, phase began to do stuff also for elementary, my sort of short lived hip hop, uh, magazine journal thing mm -hmm. um in fact he was my graffiti editor he made a collage for uh an issue that i still have that's wow. like framed on my wall yeah a phase collage that's um so cool. i used to go to his house um and 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 watch him uh make collages like he his center game was nice <laughs> oh, um wow. that's right that's right yeah yeah so yeah so i got to know phase and you know he would he would come to parties i threw like he was a very humble and unassuming presence um despite having all of these deeply held and deeply felt opinions like he was a dude who um understood his significance in the culture understood this the, the culture's significance significance in the world mm -hmm. but that didn't stop him from like you know coming through to a party that some 19 year old college kid was throwing to try to fund his magazine right and like dip through in like a camo suit and shades and like play the wall all night and like you know chop it up with anybody who walked up to him you know right. as word would spread like yo that's phase two over there you know wow. um yeah man he was a he was a funny guy a very warm dude um you know and it, it just an incredible like innovator um yeah. an original b-boy an original graffiti writer somebody who really disseminated so much style so much vernacular um codified so much of what we've come to think of as graffiti culture you know certainly yeah and the, um, I, his impact on hip-hop graphic design still resonates by designing so many of the early flyers um, yeah his, that's, his that's, flyer yep. style um I, like we just threw a party a couple of months ago last year sometime and we're like looking for inspiration we looked back to his his letter oh yeah his, his placement like it's just like it's still it, it just reads yeah. hip-hop immediately without being like a fred flintstone barney rubble in the backwards hat kind of like corny <laughs> take on it right <laughs> yo it absolutely does i mean it's it's so ingrained in, in the dna of how hip-hop graphic design looks mm. that yeah it, it, it's it's quintessential and what's wild too is like his flyering style is so radically different than his graffiti right. or yes. you know I, Almost I shouldn't even to the say that word. I thought it was you know. two different people using the same name, which is not unheard of in the wild west right. of graffiti, you know, history. Yeah. So when you hear it yeah. all converges in in one man, that's pretty incredible. Um, can we yeah. talk a little bit about yeah. his music and particularly his single, The Roxy? Like, did you ever get a chance to talk sure. to him about that? And like, did he want to be a rapper or was he just so ingrained in hip hop culture that people thought he should rap? Like, is, does that make sense as a question? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely does. Um, the, although, the, before I answer that, I want to say anybody trying to walk around with Phase 2's name would have quickly <laughs> been <laughs> been disabused of his belief that he could do that shit. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think, I mean, Phase, I think, was a quintessential B-boy. So he's told me that he was DJing uh, on reel-to-reels, like, before Herc was out, you know, wow. not not mixing records, but essentially pretending to do a radio show, doing okay, like right. his version of a radio show. I don't know show. anything so, about that. I don't do that as like my main hobby right now in <laughs> my life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Um, you know, and he, you know, he talks about his place in the in the history of dance. Phase, Phase has made an argument that he invented uprocking him and his crew wow. in the Bronx. Controversial. Sure, um, sure. A lot of this he told me in an interview I did with him for Wax Poetics around mm, okay. 2005, sure. I think. Um, so... 
as far as the Roxy and rapping, my sense was that FaZe, you know, was a fly guy who could do it all. And, you know, back then, everybody, the same way that everybody had a tag and maybe put it up, or if they didn't put it up, they at least wrote it in their fucking school book all day. Sure. Everybody had, you know, everybody had like a verse too. Like if you were right. in the life, if you were a hip hopper, you had to be conversing in all these elements. I think FaZe was like a guy who was in the nightlife you know, who was, who was making his rounds. He was at the Roxy. He was at all, at all these, you know, downtown clubs where all of this energy was being exchanged between the uptown and the Bronx and the, and the downtown crew. And I think he was, you know, sort of like somebody like Fab who, mm-hmm. you know, nah, he's not a rapper per se, but yeah. he can rhyme if he needs to. I think right. people wanted to do a record with FaZe. He had a certain kind of cachet. Um, he told me that he didn't like the final mix of that record. Okay. Um mm. That they that he was kind of in the studio fucking around and did it, and then right. it got put out before he ever got a chance to like review it. Gotcha. Um, I, I think it sits in a very similar place in hip hop record collecting culture as Futura's single on yeah. Celluloid that he did. He had like basically the Clash do a little backing track, and then he kind of raps over it or more like toasts over it. Yep. And so th- those yep. have like a very similar vibe of like you know these are the OGs of the OGs. And this is this yeah. was their moment at the time when they were young and hip and like really involved in everything. And so they're documents, basically. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's also within the context of a time, you know, I think the Roxy came out, what, you said 84, 83? Yeah, that sounds right to me. I mean, you know, hip hop was in such a weird place and it was mm-hmm. that kind of awkward middle school type <laughs> mm-hmm. situation where like, you know, we think of 83 and Run DMC comes along and the new school is born and hip hop is sort of the identifiable thing that we know it as today in its, you know, earliest stages. But shit, look at what like the fat boys and Grandmaster Flash were putting on records in 84 and Houdini was putting on records Mm -hmm. in 84. Like the the music could have gone in a lot of directions. It could have gone in the direction of like every rap record has to have a ballad where they sing (laughs) about Stevie wonder, you know, like as, 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 as flash of them did, it's like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) You know? (laughs) So I think, the, the kind of looseness and like nobody had figured it out. It wasn't yeah. a, a, a controlled a, a, yet. A, a, yeah, and it wasn't an album based medium yet. So like motherfuckers were like, Well damn, I need eight other songs. Like, what am I gonna do? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and and you, you know. feel it. You feel the yeah. Yeah, 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 Melly Mel is like, I'll uh, I'll recite part of Hustlers Convention on this record, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. okay, cool, Mel, like do that shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So um you guys kind of became friends. He sounds like he's an important person in your life, and you had like unprecedented access to him. Um, what what would you say um, kind of defined him as a man, like not as a hip hop figure, but as a person? Um, a tremendous uh, kind of dignity, mm. um, a sense of who he was, and a sense of who he was not. Oh. That I think was impossible to exploit um that he had come by you know not in the easiest way right with all of the kinds of opportunities pressures crossroads that a guy like that faced Mm. in his career you know and i think phase had um the courage of his convictions and the courage of his knowledge that he had never played himself he had never Mm. like stepped out of character never stepped out of character never done some shit that turned out to be exploitive or corny if he if he could help it you know um yeah integrity a sense of integrity but also you know it it sounds like he was this kind of like fire breathing um ideologue and he was also just a funny cool dude who i really enjoyed Mm. talking to who had a 
you know, had a, had a, had a, a colorful way to speak and like did not, you had to kind of like latch into his slang and his way of unfurling an idea. He wasn't going to give you cliff notes, you know, yeah. he would call, he would like call me and, you know, like complain and fulminate about some shit that had gone down. And he wouldn't like give me any names. He'd just be like, this motherfucker's claiming he invented da 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 and da da da. You know, and they're not even called bubble letters, they're called softies and blah blah blah. You know, it'd take me like it would take me like half an hour to figure out who he was even talking about. Right. And then it was like, oh, okay. You know. Yeah. Um, so there were, you know, <laughs> but but he was like hilariously funny while doing it, you know. Right. I was looking over some emails that I have from him the other day, uh, you know, after he passed, kind of going through, man, what do I have of phase? What do I have to look at? And uh read through and you know he yeah he was he was just very funny um just a, a very magnanimous guy who um was also just uh an original thinker in so many different mm. arenas you know yeah. um uh and, and it, it's funny because you know one of the things i remember faze telling me and i remember talking to him a lot about was the amazing pace of graffiti's evolution the fact that like, you know, it was it was almost like you could not if you were a serious writer, you couldn't leave the city for more than a couple of weeks or a month because style would progress at sort of such a rapid rate that you wow. might be mm. way behind when you came back. I remember talking to him about that and like the the energy of that, you know, FaZe talks about sitting at the writer's bench on 149th and Grand Concourse. Incidentally, another thing he says that he started um, uh and, and and just like, you know, watching these trains and watching this shit evolve before your eyes mm. and get more complex and and, do, you know, and 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 for the philosophies behind it to develop. Like, I think when I think about phase, I think of somebody who um, in the same way that like a Ramel Z, mm. you know, is thought of as a graffiti theorist. Phase mm. is also one of those guys. Mm-hmm. And his theory was, you know, his theory was also put into practice because he was a prolific writer on yeah. trains and on walls. So like. Yeah. You know, it's it's not, you know, Rem LZ, you know, it's like the art almost follows the theory phase. It's like the art is very much a pace with the theory. And he's mm. innovating in real time and putting shit on trains that when motherfuckers saw it, they were like, that's the new shit. Mm-hmm. Nobody's ever done that before. Mm-hmm. And do, doing this countless times in the early, early days when the template is being set. Right. Um, you know, and, and the template that cats are still kind of like living off of now um did he have to stop at some point like was was he retired when when you met him when you were 19 or was there like was he still getting up for lack of a better term um i don't think he was doing any like illegal stuff at least not that i knew about Mm -hmm. um then again, if I was phased, I wouldn't tell me that either. You right. know, <laughs> let, let me <laughs> go tell my new friend who's a journalist about yeah, what I'm yeah, doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, phase, uh, phase was certainly active doing commission pieces. Sure. Um, when I knew him, he had a real uh, basis and kind of following it in Italy and did a lot of painting over there. Oh, um, he published a book. Um, in collaboration with Stampa Alternativa, which was an Italian publisher. And the book was like, it was side by side, English and Italian. Um, so he was very like, you know, you know, like a lot of guys, he had more of, I think, a vibrant fine arts career overseas mm. than he did here. Yeah, so sure, I think sure. there was that piece of it. You know, um, his magazine with David Schmidlab, uh, 
originally called IGT, International Graffiti Times, and then it became tight, the International Get Hip Times. <laughs> um, I think in the mid-90s, he was still occasionally putting an issue out. I feel like when I met him, he was still doing those. Um, those are incredible to look at. Mm. You know, it's like uh, they were they were folded like a newspaper, and they're the size of like, you know, the New York Times when you fold it out. And oh, he had wow. like, yeah, editorial stuff and art and like really, really ill publication that was, I think... Um, What's that? What's that line about the, uh, you know, like the Velvet Underground only sold ten thousand albums, but right, every but everybody, every, every, exactly, yeah. Like when you look at magazines like Ego Trip, there's mm -hmm. a lot of the DNA. You know, some of the great indie magazines, Stress, Ego Trip, On the Go. Like there was a lot of the the DNA of uh, of IGT in those magazines, mm -hmm. which I think makes sense because if you think about it, a lot of the driving forces behind those magazines were graffiti guys. You know, yeah. Sasha and yeah. Espo and you know Ket, like always been the the hustlers that's cool man we really appreciate you sharing those memories with us like for us he's a total legend but like i will just speak for myself i don't want to implicate damone in this like i don't think of some him as someone almost like real like he's a legend like, I, it's like <laughs> yeah. the yeah. fact that he's a man that like has a sense of humor and like got got angry about graffiti history is really cool to hear for me he's just this incredible artist who you always heard about like I'm uh, my I'm from the underground rap era, so it's like the end of yeah. Burner's twelve inch. It's yeah. just like holy yeah. fuck, who what is this? And like, how do I learn yeah. every single thing about the person who drew this? Yeah, it's just you know like, it's funny. incredible to me. I just came up on a copy of that today. I was digging today. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> and I never had it. I never had that cover, and I I, I don't know why. Um, <laughs> but I but I caught it today. So that's that, that seems like a good a good omen. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so talk to us a little bit about your writing career. I think we're gonna get to what I think most people who are gonna listen to this know you for. But let talk about your hip hop writing and like um where you where you caught the bug and like you some pieces that you're proud of or just kind of where you think you fit into this whole thing. Sure. Sure. Um. Well, I mean, I'm from Boston. Uh, mm -hmm. I you know I I sort of. I think I, I sort of started listening to hip hop probably around the age of um, 10, 11, which for me was 86, 87, which is a pretty good fucking time to start listening to hip hop. Yeah, if, yes. um, you know, <laughs> so, you know, I was I was catching, you know, Raising Hell and Bigger and Deffer and BDP and Public Enemy and all kinds of shit as it was happening. And I was incredibly captivated by it. Um, it just seemed to be conveying more information per, per second, per mm -hmm. verse, per song than anything else. And it was, um, it was locking in with a lot of things that I was seeing around me and feeling in a kind of almost instinctual way. And hip hop was the text that validated a lot of my feelings. Mm -hmm. Like I was a white, I was a Jewish kid in the Boston suburbs, you know, um, a city that is very sort of proud of its progressivism a state that's very proud of its progressivism but you know wasn't really seeing that i was seeing a lot of you know a lot of other shit right and you know to my to my great uh luck and benefit you know hip-hop's sort of overtly political era was cresting just at the time that i was like an angry 12 year old yep. with some race politics that i was getting partly from hip-hop but also partly from all kinds of other sources. You know, my father is a journalist. So when Chuck D mentioned Joanne Chesimard or Soul on Ice, I could literally go to his bookshelf and be like, ah, okay, let me read this, you know? Yeah. Um, 
So I'm really from that era where hip hop made you go to the library, made you learn shit. For me, it helped me develop a critical sensibility about whiteness, white privilege, all of that kind of thing. So um, hip hop was very much a, a, a kind of driving force in my development as a writer, as a, a, a thinker, you know, all of that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I have like, you know, I, I remember going to see KRS-One lecture at Harvard in 1989, you know, which was like fucking mind blowing. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. was, you know, like, like those was he kinds chastising of the audience. Uh, well, he showed up two hours late. Okay, that's a good start. Um, <laughs> yeah, but when he showed up, he he had. I, I later heard this story from John Schechter, who organized the event. And I was like, yo, I was a 13-year-old kid in that audience. What the fuck happened? And he told me this whole story. I almost feel like I shouldn't tell it because, like, y'all should have John on and let John tell it. But it's okay. a great fucking story. <laughs> All right. Fair the, enough. The gist, the gist of it is, you know that moment in the in the Why Is That video when Chris, like, shows up with the, the tablets that <laughs> yes. Moses yes. handed him? And, like, and then a huge crowd forms behind him? That's basically how he showed up at Harvard. Wow. Sick. Um Maybe not with the tablets, but with like, <laughs> but, but, but with like a giant crowd that he'd been like leading all day and had finally got piper like, through the streets of <laughs> wow, some shit like that. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so you know, I, back then I was I was writing. Um, I have writers in my family. Writer, uh, my grandmother was a poet. Like I said, my father's a journalist. Mm. Um, I was writing rhymes. Um, that's probably the, the thing I first turned any serious attention to at. Mm-hmm. 12 13 14 all the way through high school i was making i was making songs and i had groups and i you know we were doing all kinds of things and i continued to do that into college um and uh you know um developed like i said some some uh you know i put it like this the 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 second novel i wrote is called angry black white boy and it's Mm -hmm. the first one of mine that's sort of considered a piece of hip-hop literature um Mm. You know, I think we coined the term lit hop around the time that 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 book was coming out. And it's it's about a white kid who uh, sort of via hip hop develops these uh, this this anger and this critique toward whiteness and the hypocrisy of white people and the, you know, the unearned privilege and the refusal to confront it and all of that kind of shit. Wait, I thought you said it was fiction. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> well, here, here's where the fiction kicks in. Is he he moves to New York City for college, so that's actually not fiction. That's exactly what the fuck I did. Um, but then he starts driving a cab and he starts robbing all the white people who get in his cab okay, and okay. taking like their their money. And I'm their liking neckties. the story more and more as you <laughs> yeah as you get into um, it. and and giving them like these little kind of like preachy little sermons about like the evils and invisibility of whiteness. But the thing is, nobody can sort of put together the idea of this militant white cab driver saying this shit uh it's like too much for their brains to process so instead the word goes out that some kind of like militant black cab driver is sticking up white people in new york city and like you know there's like a panic and white people won't take cabs anymore which means black people can finally get them and all kinds of shit (laughs) um yeah he, he ends up getting arrested um and he found something called the race trader project which he takes uh sort of facetiously takes Malcolm X's statement that, you know, the nature of, of, of racism in this country is so egregious, so constant that like really white people should just walk up to black people and apologize. And the kid is like, we're going to do that shit on Friday. So people come from all over the country to participate and there's a big riot and all kinds of other crazy shit happens. Um, also the kid is the 
great grandson of uh, legendary racist baseball player Cap Anson. Okay. Um, and his college roommate is the great grandson. And this he finds this out in deliberately rooms with the kid is the great grandson of this uh, ball player named Moses Fleetwood Walker, who was the first black player and last black player in the international league which is the predecessor of the national league wow. so there's this whole other baseball shit so yeah man i mean hip-hop led me essentially to write books like that um and to you know to try to grapple with what specifically with the limitations of what hip-hop was going to do in terms of altering significantly the the race consciousness of a, of a white kid like my character or like me mm-hmm. you know like what what if anything is this going to do in a real way you know and the book is a satire and a and right. it's very bugged out um but it was my you know one of my first attempts to kind of delve into those things um and, and do so through the matrix of hip hop and you know just like starting that magazine had been a few years earlier right you know i had this sense that there were conversations start happening in hip hop happening among me and my friends and my peers um that were incredibly sophisticated um, and we're not being adequately put down in writing and we're important. So, you know, I think a lot of the shit I was doing back then, um, with the magazine, with that novel were various kinds of attempts to jumpstart certain conversations. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So that was like, uh, you know, that book came out in 2005. Nice. Um, yep. With a mixtape by your man, O-Dub, matter of fact. Oh, wow. That's um, cool. O- O-Dub did the mixtape. Yeah. That's um, that's amazing. We were just talking yeah. off off air in, in our little text thread about um, the song with J period and Black Thought. Um, yeah i don't is real raw or something like that something like it's called the it's called rage is back rage is um, back thank you and which so is can you explain please how like how does one go about curating a mixtape around a book and like have you always had that as part of the uh the release strategy or just like a way to like group up creative people around your projects like can you kind of just give us some insight into how you go about doing that and uh, yeah it's, yeah it's, it's it's fucking cool i just kind of don't get how it works um, I've done that twice, once with Rage is Back, uh, and once with Angry Black White Boy. Um, the Rage is Back one is a much more sort of involved process. Um, Rage is Back is a novel that I published in 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a magic realist graffiti revenge novel. Mm-hmm. It's about, um, it's about the son of a famous graffiti writer, a writer who fled the city uh, when this kid was very young because he was being prosecuted in civil and criminal court around the time when the city started doing that, you know, like mm-hmm. all these cases where, where guys, you know, get slapped with a $5 million uh, lawsuit by the city, shit like right. that. Right. Um, this guy flees the city and it's narrated by his son who he left behind. Um, it's essentially about a collective comeback in 2005 by the entire train generation of New York city subway writers mm to bomb the entire transit system at once in one weekend, forcing the MTA to either shut down or run painted trains. And it's all essentially a way to bring down a former Vandal Squad cop who is now running for mayor and who may or may not be controlled by a demon who lives deep in the tunnels underneath the city and is like been pulling strings since the night our narrator was born. Wow. When his father, yeah, when his father and his friends went bombing to celebrate and got chased into a very deep tunnel and encountered something that was not human. But they were all on acid at the time, so it's hard for them <laughs> to figure out what the fuck happened. Um, so for that novel, my man Jay Period, um, 
I had met Jay period in Brooklyn in Fort Greene when we both lived there. We, we, we both bought records from the same guy, this dude named David, who had a spot on Fulton Street. It was kind of like a knickknack junk store. But like David steadily got records in and me and Jay period were like the only two people who kind of knew this. Nice. And, you know, so so Jay period began as my enemy, basically, because like <laughs> the guy getting all the good you know, records. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, you know, like my, it was like my daily treat for myself. It's like when I feel like I've I've done enough work for the day on whatever book I'm writing, I stroll down there and dig through the crates. Right. And you know, half the time there was nothing new, and and a quarter of the time David was like, "Oh man, should have been here earlier." <laughs> Jay Period was here, and I was like, "Fucking Jay Period," you know. <laughs> um, and and this dude David gave me Jay's uh, best of Nas tape when that came out. Yeah, wow. Which is dope. And, and meanwhile, Jay was getting shit of mine. I think I think David gave Jay period a copy of Angry Black White Boy, oh, cool. maybe a couple of the novel I did before that, um, which was a, a kind of a jazz thing. I was also a roadie for Elvin Jones for a bunch of years, and oh, I've wow. written a bunch about the, the jazz world. Yeah. Um, so anyway, at Jay period and I were formally introduced. Um, I don't know, 2011 maybe, and started building and kind of kicking it together um and i sold the publishing company on the idea of a mixtape for this novel mm. um and jay with the type of sort of incredible assiduous uh nerdy ass like attention to detail he and i sort of constructed this tape um you know jay is incredibly well connected so he he got original material and and this tape was not just like you know a bunch of songs that we thought had something to do with the novel right it was an, a kind of narrative in itself because jay period is really a storyteller mm. um and it featured yeah hot new shit by black thought by common um by a whole bunch of other artists uh you know and and, and the the rage is back freestyle the black thought kicks over the new york state of mind beat mm. which as as folks may or may not know is not an instrumental that exists um that's not an instrumental oh, that general public has recreated. access to nah j period just used to dj for nas yeah you know what i mean yeah, so um that's amazing so yeah so that's that's thought who at this point you know is a is a fucking first ballot hall of famer yeah, you know sure. like like unquestionable top five rapper of all time um kills that beat and uh yeah the mixtape was a was a fun project um you know one of the things about writing is that you spend a lot of time like alone mm -hmm. doing it in the lab so when a book comes out that's your chance to kind of collaborate and interact and go on the road and do all kinds of shit yeah so you know doing that mixtape with jay and like thinking it through and discussing it was uh yeah was like a really fun part of the process that's amazing thank you for kind of giving us that insight um, and yeah, now I pleasure. think we're we're kind of up to the point where it's it's safe to talk about your incredibly successful children's book for adults and its sequel, <laughs> uh, "Go the Fuck to Sleep," which was like a like I don't have kids, but most of my friends and family members do. It was like a bomb went off, phenomenon, and like yeah, they were so fucking stoked. Like you just you captured something very essential <laughs> about parenting that hadn't been expressed before and I, w I remember telling my cousin Michelle who had a kid like right around the time that it came out and she was so into it and I was like I know who that guy is he's a hip-hop writer like this isn't a hip-hop book per se but like this is like oh, of the got, culture it's got fuck in the title yeah. I mean it's, it's yeah, an approach I mean 
No, I mean, it's, 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 it's funny that you say that because I think for people who know me, one of the kind of like crazy pleasures of, of what happened with that book for a lot of my friends is the knowledge that that shit is just me through and through. Like it wasn't some <laughs> carefully calibrated right, attempt right. to like penetrate the zeitgeist. People are like, oh, this is just the type of shit Adam has been talking as long as we've known. Him. This is his sensibility, <laughs> you know, and, and sometimes you just get lucky and that sensibility happens to align yeah. with, uh, you know, some shit. But it, it is very much a hip hop book, right? It, it's kind of like, you know, I can certainly see kind of the through line between my other work and that. And yeah. it's like, you know, it has to do with um, confronting uncomfortable and possibly unspoken truths and yeah. and trying to voice them and start a conversation around them. Um, in this case, I didn't I didn't I had no idea how how widely it would. Uh, OK, so that was a know. surprise to you, just the, the oh, kind yeah. of meteoric rise of that book. Yeah, I really thought it might just be for like me and other shitty parents, you know, um, you know, and, and I, I wrote it and I sent it to um, my friend Johnny Temple at Akashic Books, who eventually published it. But, you know, for months, he and I sort of hemmed and hawed because we really didn't know if it was a publishable book. And we thought it was funny. Johnny right. would sort of show it to people now and then. I remember he showed it to Jonathan Lethem. Lethem thought it was funny. Lethem had a couple kids. Incidentally, Lethem's brother Keo did my book covers for Rage's Back and oh. Angry Black White Boy. Shout out to Keo, one of the one of the uh, one of my favorite, you know, working graffiti writers to this day. Nice. Um, anyway, like eventually, yeah, I guess we'll give it a shot, you know. And um, yeah, it was crazy. Um, six months before it was meant to be published, I gave a, the first public reading of it at a museum in Philadelphia where I was living at the time. I was not living in the museum. I was living in <laughs> Philadelphia. It was Jumanji. The, the ten of yeah. kids grew up and uh, yeah. were reading. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, like, it was like, you know, the audience reacted well. It was like, I, I was like the 50th presenter of the night. It was like this very out of control salon reading series at a museum mm -hmm. that, like, they had they had not done their math and did not realize that even if the performances are only five minutes, 50 of them is like way too many. <laughs> right. So I went on like last after like a 94 year old tap dancer. Like, Oh, this is going to be fun. You don't want to follow a 94 year old, not on the road, you know, not, at not, the, ever. not, not on stage, not at the urinal. Um, and, uh, you know, people thought the shit was funny. I, you know, I showed the images from the book and I went home and didn't really think much of it. And the next morning, the book, was 125th on Amazon, like wow. out of all books. Yeah, okay. And again, not to get overly technical, the book did not exist. The book had not been published. The book was like six months away from being published. So Whoa. we were like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it stayed at number one as we rushed it out and we ended up getting it out in June rather than October. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like it just continued to sell and you know, Sam Jackson did the audio book, which yeah. was huge and a huge boost. And then all these other people did readings as well. So it became like, you know, to this day, like there'll be an unexpected celebrity reading of the book that we had nothing to do with, had wow. no just, ability to orchestrate. It just happens. Yeah. So yeah. like Sam Jackson did the official one. And also like the book is so fucking short that things happen really fast. It's like, right. you know, Tuesday, it's like, send us the list of people you want for the audiobook. And it's like, okay, Sam Jackson, Slick Rick, Alec Baldwin, you know? Um, and like, you know, like, like, you know, Thursday, it's like, Sam's doing the book. Friday, it's like, Sam recorded the book. It's great. You know, he's going on Letterman tomorrow to read it. So like, 
yeah, he and then Werner Herzog did a recording. <laughs> uh, you know, at this point, it's like it's a long ass list. Cardi B did it on the Tonight Show. Uh, Jennifer Garner did it. Uh, Tandy Newton did it in the UK. Like all these fucking people have recorded this book, and it's, it's very bugged out. Um, Go the fuck to sleep, bruv. That... <laughs> <laughs> Go the fuck to sleep in it. Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so there's a, even a Jamaican patois uh, uh, version of the book with an audiobook by Shaggy. I shit you not. Wow. wow. Yeah. Dang. Maybe next you'll get an yeah. actual Jamaican to do it. Um, <laughs> so... Oh, damn. That's rough. Shag- Shaggy yeah, don't listen funny. to us. I was, the, the joke that I was making when Shaggy, yo, actually, like Shaggy is, I, I actually listened to Shaggy doing uh, Sean Sotero's podcast, The Cypher, mm-hmm. and man, Shaggy is. Way doper than I I realized, okay. and it, it, it okay. you know it uh changed my whole perspective. But the joke I was making was like, oh my god, when I meet Shaggy, I'll be like, yo, Shaggy, holy shit, can you introduce me to Cuddy Ranks? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, always always good to take gratuitous shots at 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 Shaggy. But I I think as a <laughs> As a as a father of three parent, this came a little bit after my kids were go the fuck to sleep age. But as okay. soon as I heard the title, I was like, oh, yeah, you kind of tapped into a, a whole thing. And hasn't this kind of like sparked a, a weird sub genre of this type of book? I feel like I've yeah. seen other titles that are like, hey, that's trying to be like, go, go the fuck to sleep. Yeah, there's, um, biters. you know, there's no <laughs> shortage of biters. There is no shortage of fucking biters. And the funny thing is, I will routinely get emails from biters who are like, in so many words, like, yo, I bit your shit. Can you help me get it published? Wow. I'm like, hard nah, pass. homie. <laughs> like, hard, hard pass, yeah. Wow. Um, Do you just yeah, kind of, like, I, send them the shark niggas uh, skit from <laughs> Ghostface and be like, just... I really should. I really should. Yeah, I just... I pretty much do not respond. Like... Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, you know... That's, that's wild. That's wild. It's so, wild. So, you, you've had this very interesting career. Um, started in the hip-hop space, kind of went into this other uncharted territory um is there some kind of grand synthesis project coming <laughs> with, between these two places i'm constantly working on that really? <laughs> <laughs> um that's a good question i mean uh i'm 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 working a lot more now in the kind of film and tv space okay. um the last few years i've been hustling in that in that arena um and you know, to some degree, there's more of a of a chance to synthesize everything because you're working mm-hmm. in kind of multiple dimensions. You know, like okay. um, you can, uh, you know, I don't know. The, I mean, the idea of of what bringing a, a hip hop sensibility to a piece of fiction looks like mm-hmm. on film in three dimensions is obviously different than what it looks like on on the page of a novel. I guess sure. is what I mean. Sure. Um, you know, like I wrote a movie called Barry that. Um, came out in 2016. Oh, it's a Netflix. The, uh, Obama's first date. No, oh, that's the other one. Sorry. Um, there's there's two young Obama movies. My yeah. bad. Yeah. Um, mine is the fresh one. Um, yeah, yeah. He actually interacts with hip hop in that movie. Like he has he this hip hop experience. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, yeah. My, what I was gonna say is, it's the movie takes place in 1981 when young Barry Obama has just transferred to Colombia. Okay. Um. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's kind of uh experiencing many things for the first time and among them certainly is hip hop. Yeah. Um and white so women. so <laughs> and, and 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 white women, that's right. Um 
I, yeah. I dug that movie. It was I think I thought it not just kissing your ass, but I thought it was better than the the South Side and Me one. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think it it almost it almost has to be because it's a much more opaque and kind of liminal time in his life, and mm-hmm. we could do it without any big epiphanies, without paying any right. fan service. Like right. you know, I I was very clear going in, and my director Vikram Gandhi and I talked a lot about how the version of this movie we wanted to do would be one that would resonate even if this character does not go on to be the leader of the free world. Yep. You know, even if he's just some guy, um, smoking weed in his dorm room, Yeah. (laughs) smoking weed in his dorm room. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, like Keo was the art director for that movie and, you know, brought, which really meant he was in charge of, graffiti in right. pretty much Making every sure exterior scene. Era appropriate graffiti is in the, the scenes. Yeah. So and Keo took that so seriously, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like we tried to bring, you know, th- the movie is almost entirely made up in terms of what actually is happening in, in Barack's life. Like we're able to imagine because it's a very blank canvas that we're working with. There's not that much on the record about it. But the period details we were adamant about getting right. Mm. And a lot of that came down to things like having real graffiti artists who, I mean, Keo took such a scientific approach to it. He's just a thorough dude. So he's like, all right, this scene is on the upper east side. Um, You know, Barry's roommate, Barry's friend, Sadiq, lives in this apartment that's like on, you know, East 91st Street. All right, like, it's 81. What who what writers were up in that in neighborhood that area? wow yeah like that like you know like what trains were near there like what gangs would have had kind of a faded presence on the walls by that time you know who are the toy writers who just live in the building that he happens to live in and who are like up on the fucking wall who who do not have like you know good hand styles yeah he just brought a lot of wow. thorough shit to it so i'm watching this tonight i'm you know, sad that i missed it before but i have to see this this is so cool oh. And nice. and it does yeah. that it does that thing where um you know typically the the scene in a movie where somebody interacts with hip hop that is not a hip hop movie per se yeah. is always mad cringy and I do remember going oh that seems legit like the music's mm-hmm. right there's a club scene in there where it's like okay yep the music's right even his little weird offbeat bop I thought the <laughs> actor really <laughs> captured Obama's not right, right. self yeah yeah he goes to uh, he goes to dance at Terry. And he sees he sees breakers and he sees everybody doing their thing. We had in earlier drafts of the script, it specified that Melly Mel is like behind the velvet rope partying with like a bunch of women. And and they kind of lock eyes for a second. But, you know, I I don't think anybody in the movie is credited as (laughs) Melly Mel. But, you know, certainly the idea. Oh, man, that is that is so dope. You had such a such a varied and interesting career kind of just looping back as as we wrap it up here. Are you looking to do some type of phase two project? Um, I know it's I know it's very soon. I'm not not to kind of. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I, I would certainly I would certainly want to do anything I could to ensure that such a project came into being. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know that I'm the best person to do it. I think there are okay. people who knew him better and for longer and who are more widely knowledgeable. Um I mean, look, I'm not the worst person to do it, but, right. you know, I think I think um, there are those in the in the in the in the inner circles and sanctums of the graffiti world who are probably better equipped to do it. You know, okay. if somebody wanted to holler at me for anything that I could, you know, add or mm-hmm. remember or contribute, I'm like certainly down. But, you know, the great thing is also 
Um, FaZe needs his life documented after his passing much less than most people Ooh, and most artists of his generation. Mm. And I think, and, and that, that in some ways for me softens the blow of losing this cat is the knowledge that, you know, he really produced an incredible body of work yeah. um, for, for a very, for a very long time that still exists. Um, you know, the book that he published and the various writings and the archive of uh, international get hip times, um, you know, really serves to do some justice to like, who he was and, and the, the matters that concerned him. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's a character in my novel rages back. Who's very much based on phase. So mm-hmm. I kind of feel like I've paid my tribute to him oh, and that I actually shit. did it while he was alive. Um, yeah, yeah, that's cool. It's, it's a character named Supreme chemistry who is, you know, like an original, original writer and Supreme OG in this bugged out world. Uh, of Rage's Back, you know, which takes place in the tunnels under the city and in very bizarre locations. And there's, you know, a fucking staircase in a building in Brooklyn that takes you 24 hours into the future if you walk from the lobby to the 15th floor. Like, it's a wild world. And my favorite thing about it by far is this character, Supreme Chemistry, who, like, you know, just sort of, like, struts around doing phase-type shit, like knocking people unconscious, then waking them up with smelling salts and telling them that, you know, that they were mistaken about, like, the last thing they said. You know what I mean? Like, That's so dope. So, uh, like, imagine having to carry smelling salts to just do fact checks on yeah. people. That's just, like, so dope to me. Uh, we, yeah. we we definitely definitely need more of that. Uh, Adam, we really appreciate you coming on the program, man. Um Oh, thanks, guys. It's my pleasure. Happy to be here. Right on. Um, cool, man. Like, I, I think maybe there's enough material just in your brain where we should connect again. But uh, I know you're a I'd busy man. Yeah. No, no, I'd love to. This is the type of uh, fun shit that I always like to do. Right on. Um, and are you, got, are you guys in the Bay also? Yeah, yes. we're uh, based in San Jose. Okay, shit. Yeah, I'm in Berkeley. Nice. So, yeah. you, know, oh, you, you The cadence yeah, of your voice and the stuff you talk about reminds me so much of past dad bod rap pod guest john sclute who i know you're friends with yeah I, I've yeah, been like yeah, yeah tripping sitting here going like man i could almost hear him saying that so um yeah <laughs> that's funny yo i texted him earlier today uh be- because i was astonished upon leaving the ymca in berkeley to see a dude selling incense and oils on the corner of Shattuck hey. and Alston. Old Berkeley ain't dead, baby. And I had, I, yo, I was, I was like, who do I tell about this? And Johnny was like the only guy that I, that, that understood both sides of that equation well enough that I could be like, yo, B, there's a dude selling like incense and oils, possibly also chew sticks and like fondo leaves. I don't know. But, wow. You know, like, beaties for sale. <laughs> got beaties oh, for sale. Wow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's that, so dope. that is, that is so dope. So definitely, hopefully we can have you back on the program, man. Just thanks so much for coming yeah. on, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Anytime. Thanks guys. All right. Take care. Peace. All right. Peace. Dad bod rap pod, we in the last three minutes have come up with a new segment. Um, 
I would like to call for the bird. Uh, it is us mining our Twitter uh, for a little bit of content, some responses from folks. We did a segment about the ever-shortening rap song, um, and I put out the following question on our, our Twitter feed. Best sub-minute, best sub-three-minute rap songs. And it's really gotten a lot of traction, so we wanted to kind of share some of these for you to agree, disagree with. I will do my best to uh, shout out your proper Twitter handle. Um, so there was a bunch of folks who who brought up uh, best sub-three-minute songs. Redman's name comes up a lot. Um, an account about hip-hop mentions, mentions Redman's Smoke Buddha, um, which I'm not placing, but I'm sure I've heard it before. Uh, Red had a bunch of, like, little mini songs, right, in between his interludes. I wonder if it's just because it's, like, the CD era. Like, I just don't think mm. of his songs as so short. But I'm, I'm going to, like, reinvestigate that. I'm sure yes. people are right. Like, they're not just lying to us to get attention <laughs> right, on Twitter. Right, but, yeah, right. I just I never thought of him as this big, like, short song artist. Because uh, I think of him, he, his songs are classic hip-hop Like, songs. he has they song have, songs. They have yeah. three three verses and a hook and like that's kind of the the song so maybe i'm tripping maybe i'm not remembering that narrative fanatic uh disagrees with you lord three aaa Redman owns these uh was his comment uh accordion was brought up um which makes sense things associated with mad lib i i definitely could see being sub uh sub three minutes although again i don't think of that as a sub three minute song for whatever reason it feels like a complete song to me but it's right. definitely a short song yeah yeah, um, it's so weird that that's gonna be Daedalus's, uh, like, <laughs> like uh, what do you call it, like legacy? Like he's like a very niche artist in like the low end theory right, kind of like right. experimental electronic world. But that little accordion bit has been used in that Doom song very famously, and mm -hmm. then apparently a couple of other songs. Speaking yeah. of sampling more recent songs, that's a good one actually. Yes, yes. Uh, my, I think. Daedalus' uh, legacy for me is uh, seeing him at Low End Theory dressed as a leprechaun. Um, uh, he did an in-store with his <laughs> wife for one of his records when I worked in the record store, and I was a big fan of his, and even I was taken aback by his <laughs> dandyism. Uh, I'm like, that is, um, is, do we call that a cravat or a, uh, what, what is that around your neck, my good, my good sir? <laughs> You're like, good day. It makes you like, yeah, go, go yeah, on that level and be yeah. like, hello. Oh, chap, we have your uh, and, and green room set up here with uh, your finest Gatorade. <laughs> I was in people, in, you're at Low in Theory, and so it's kind of like, you know, L.A. Scenester kids. It's not really a dress-up type of environment. And I was like, what the fuck? And my guy, uh, Maestro Gaming, looked at me and goes, that's just Daedalus. Just like, it's fine. Like, <laughs> like chill. He doesn't represent us. He, yeah. he lives in the past. <laughs> uh, Dreams by Biggie. I didn't understand that this is. I we're literally taking your word for it. Uh, DJ KD Chip. He, he ran out of R and B B words. <laughs> Dude, speaking of songs, I know you saw the Eddie Murphy um, SNL uh, comeback show. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. So his his reviving of the Velvet Jones character and how they tried to kind of pitch it. It would be great if somebody tried to do Biggie's dreams, but like within a modern context. I think uh, that would be amazing. Like 
uh, dreams of being respecting R and B women or something. Uh, did Nikki just did like the, she did the she did a dream yeah like male which was fun of it yeah. which was fun. I feel yeah. like someone else just did a riff on that too, but it, they're all like dirty like they nobody yeah, takes as they it should in be. like a PC direction. Um, I think Paul Barman could do this. Yeah. I think if you're listening, oh, Paul, I think, I think you could he do it. Did. I no, no, he, he did. did. He did ten job commandments. Okay, which was one of my favorite songs of I, that I year. I just listened to his episode of uh, the Cipher, which was great. Shout out Sean Sotero. Shout out MC Paul Barman, and he did something where like he kind of like disrespected women, and like I I want to say it was either a drift a riff on dreams or some other classic rap song, and he feels super bad about it. Really, and he like doesn't perform it anymore and he said it was like getting him all the wrong kinds of attention like he was like it it like um frat boys were like getting into him because of it and he felt super bad about wow. it and like fully pulled back wow yeah and like okay. he has kids now and like he, yeah. yeah yeah everyone should go listen to that cypher episode it's such a great interview yeah and like uh, i don't listen to that many other people's podcasts but i because you're a snob listen i just don't have a lot of time because i'm trying to make this one good but that too <laughs> Uh, but when I do, I feel like I get a lot out of it. Like it's very rich. Like I listened to the two call out culture mm -hmm. decade wrap up ones. And like, yeah. I learned about That's that where Skip Coon record, record and it yeah. like changed my life. And then I listened to that Sotero episode and I've just been thinking about it ever since. Remember we talked mm -hmm. to Prince Paul about mm -hmm. it. Like, it's just like so rich for me. I don't know if that people are getting that from this, but no, no, like, no. I, I look at Sotero as like, you are the, um, I don't know, the Walter Cronkite of this shit. Like, he, <laughs> he really brings a gravitas and, like, a seriousness to it. That um, and, and we've had him on. He's, he's definitely a fun dude. But when I listen to his, I'm like, oh, put on your big boy pants. This is, this is journalism, folks. Let's, let's, get, <laughs> let's get into it. Shout out uh, Sotero, who is still on the case of, uh, of Takashi. And it'd be great to get an update from him. Totally. Uh, some, I, I, I know he's should. trying to get out of jail and just serve out the rest of his term and under house arrest or whatever. So that'd be interesting to find out. I just, I, I'm just dying to see what happens with that. Uh, you think that Tarot's doing a book? Uh, I think it's a long form podcast. Okay. They announced okay. over the holidays or through like right Complex. after we had him on okay. um, through complex and Angie Martinez is narrating it. I think he's oh, writing it and doing shit. the research. So I, I think it's, it's, Okay. There may be a book in the offing because he was definitely alluding to like something big coming, but I believe it's this kind of like slow burn or like the dissolve style yeah. like investigative podcast. Oh, I'm here for that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, back to our from the bird shorties. Common gets brought up a couple times, which is always interesting. Interesting. Communism. I love that. Which song. which is yeah, which That's is one a of fun my joint. favorite themed raps. Right. Right. Um, I'm I'm here for for gimmicks of that nature. Um, what by tribe is sub two minutes. What. What? 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 Jigga what? Um, <laughs> uh, let's see here. Who else do we have? Um, does Keep It Thorough count? This is the rap pundit. I'm going to say yeah. Sure. Yeah. Is it under three minutes? Then yes. Yes. Um, other ones given to us by an account called Hip Hop. Uh, Common, the B intro, which was actually pretty cool. I love that song. Yeah. Uh, Tribe, Skypager. Ah. Uh, Ice Cube. Do you know the in short importance of a short song? <laughs> that was a reach uh ice cube man's best friend um which i don't know if we've ever if we think about it has anybody ever rapped about dogs in such a way mm. i think this is a a, a standalone song in, in addition uh, to being dmx every song oh god <laughs> that was right there and i completely missed it but although ice cube is shitting on the notion of a dog uh being a man's best friend in, oh, in that song it's it's about how his gun is actually a man's best friend uh, I kind of don't think that's true. No? 
You are not in Richmond, Virginia today. No, for, oh, <laughs> that's so depressing. Gun is a white man's best friend? Oh, oh sorry. sorry. Nothing makes me feel worse about the world than when people converge in Richmond. Right? It just depresses right? me every single time. It's all these like dickheads with their body armor and AR-15s having a peaceful protest. Just like, kind of walking through the streets. It's just Just kind of strolling it out. It is um, terrible. It's going to be great to see when uh, a lot of these guys get arrested later and they're crying on Twitter. That's what I'm hoping but for. But aren't they just going to shoot the cops? Like, is that this no, could turn no, into a bloodbath no, like, because, so easily? No, because I feel like the majority of dudes who have that stuff, it's kind of like the, the small penis thing. It's like, right. I have a truck that sits 18 feet off of the ground because I can't get an erection. I think it's the same <laughs> thing. I think you have, uh, you walk in the streets with the AR-15 because your self-esteem is like microscopic. And yeah, you're not going to shoot nobody. I, I just, I really feel like the vast majority of those guys are lame wusses and couldn't record a short rap song to save their lives. <laughs> Maybe if they could, they wouldn't walk around with AR-15. Rap about an AR-15. Do it for two minutes. Come on, guys. Anyway. Um, let me get off of my Antifa hype for just a moment. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there's, some, there's definitely some dope, uh, dope suggestions here. A lot of folks shot us YouTube links, which I'll, I'll have to look at a different time. But definitely keep hitting us up um, at DadBod, RatPod on Twitter. We were here for the back and forth convo. It's been very uh, lively and, and almost surprisingly respectful. Almost um, always. Yeah, on our timeline. Otherwise, I blocked you already. So um, definitely keep checking in with us on Twitter. Um, Dad Bod Rap Pod, you can find us on all of the podcasty places. And iHeartRadio. We oh, never we... really made a major announcement about that, but we're on iHeartRadio now. That's right. And I feel like being on iHeartRadio means I have to talk shit about Clear Channel <laughs> at least at least once a month. So I'm gonna I'll check in with that periodically. It, but it yeah. It does feel weird. Like everyone's like Oh, I hate Spotify. Your year-end wrap-up means you're a fucking idiot. And I'm like, oh, but our podcast is on there. That's right. And that you should listen to it on there. Yeah, all 700 streams. Yeah. And, and garish <laughs> pink and, and orange uh, and orange typeface. So, um, Damone reading your short song. Man, if you don't stop live tweeting me, I'm being live tweeted. This is so surreal. I'm like looking at myself, looking at that. myself. I did that to fuck with you, so you're oh, welcome. Oh, man. Okay. So did, um, I did a Twitter inception on Damone. I knew he'd be scrolling the feed, so I posted him a picture of him. It's me. I'm talking into a mic, looking at a picture. I'm talking to a mic, looking at my phone, looking at my phone, talking into a mic. It's like they put two mirrors on either side of you, and you're just like having that, like, there's a thousand of you thing. That's right. And all of them look great. Uh, <laughs> Dad bought a rap pod. <laughs>